So today is the last Sunday that we're going to look uh, at Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been in this for uh, a number of weeks now, for a good portion of the summer, and today we're going to bring it to a close. Next Sunday is a special day because it's, uh, it's Homecoming Sunday, it's Promotion Sunday, and it's also a groundbreaking Sunday for our new building. So we will have that at 1045 on the South Lawn, and I uh, hope that you will come and, and join us uh, for that. It should be a very special day. But I want to pick back up with where we left off last Sunday, and that's Romans chapter 12. I want to pick up with verses 17 and 18, which say this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'd like to talk about peace this morning. I want to talk about the things that lead to peace and the things that don't lead to peace. Last Sunday at the beginning of the service, we lifted up those families in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio, who had lost loved ones in the weekend shootings. And really, we didn't know a whole lot about what had happened. We just knew that it had happened. And this week, we've watched the news coverage and we've watched more of the details come out. But these were folks who were just living their lives, going about their business, shopping for their kids' school supplies to go back to school. Jordan and Andre and Kondo were at Walmart shopping for school supplies. Andre jumped out in front of the gunman and was killed. Jordan was shielding their newborn baby, and she was killed, but the baby survived. They had just finished building a new house, and now they leave three children behind without parents. Raul and Mary Flores were 77 years old. They just retired from Southern California to El Paso. They were at Walmart buying an airbed for relatives that were visiting, and they were, they were killed. Javier Rodriguez was 15. He was the youngest one killed in the Walmart shooting. He was a good student, and he loved playing soccer, and he lost his life at age 15. Then you think about Dayton, Ohio. Megan Betts was 22. She was killed by her brother, who was the gunman. How sick and tragic is that? Thomas McNichols was 25, father of four. He worked in a factory in Dayton. He hoped to become an HVAC technician. Louis Oglesby was 27. She leaves behind a seven-year-old and an eight-month-old. She was out with friends for the first time since she had had her second child to celebrate and to spend time uh, enjoying herself. These people were just living their lives the way that we all live our lives, and then suddenly their life was over. And in El Paso, we know that they were targeted because they were Hispanic. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you feel every time these things happen, but it always gets to me. Um, I wrote a piece in the Tennessean this morning, an op-ed. Columbine got to me when I was in college. Virginia Tech got to me after I was out of seminary, and Sandy Hook got to me, and Orlando, Pulse Nightclub got to me, Parkland got to me, but it just keeps happening. And uh, I'm not naive enough to believe that there's just one reason that these horrible shootings and tragic events happen over and over again. There's a lot of reasons why they happen. I... Um, I've been pretty outspoken over the years and just saying we need some sensible gun legislation. If this is abolishing the Second Amendment and if this is not doing anything, then maybe we find a place to get to the middle somewhere. Nuance. It's what our world needs more of. Everything is extreme. Everything is, is black 
and white. What I do know is that in addition to the gun debate that we see on the news, there are some other things that need to be talked about that are very relevant to this subject of peace. Loneliness, mental illness, rage, inflammatory rhetoric, and just the simple reality that we have a lot of work to do in this culture to create a more peaceful environment and a more peaceful existence for people. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus said, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I think Jesus was serious about peace. But today, I want you to know that there is a difference between peace-loving and peacemaking, between peacekeeping and peacemaking. I don't doubt for a second that everybody here loves peace and wants to experience more of it in their lives, but how many of us are working towards peace on a regular basis? How many of us are doing the things that will lead to a more peaceful future? How many of us are working hard to deal with our own anger and our own disappointment and our own frustration and our own hurt so that we can become advocates for peace in this world? Today I want to talk about the subject of peacemaking because as nice as peace-loving and as nice as peacekeeping is, it's simply not enough. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker in life? How would you answer that question? This week I read an interesting blog that was written by a, a spiritual lady named Deb Wolf. And Deb Wolf describes herself as a recovering good little church girl, whatever that might mean. But she says that peacekeepers seek to avoid conflict and walk on eggshells to not upset anyone. And they often hide their true feelings to prevent arguments or tension. But peacemaking is much more. What is peacemaking? Five thoughts for you this morning. First, to be a peacemaker, you have to first have peace in your own heart. It's impossible to spread into the world what you don't already have in your own heart. If you don't know what it feels like to be at peace in your own heart, then the chances are you're not going to be able to spread it to your friends, to your neighbors, to your work, to this culture. We can't give to other people what we don't already have ourselves. So what that means for some of us is that we need to spend some intentional time finding our own peace so that we can then go and spread it. So how do we do that? It comes through prayer and reflection. It comes through scripture reading on a regular basis. It comes through uh, not overbooking ourselves all the time, where we are rushing around day after day, signing our kids up for three sports in one season and everything else under the sun because we don't want them to miss out. It comes from finding balance in our own lives, and we all believe in balance, but we're not always good at achieving balance. Somebody recently recommended a book to me by an MIT professor named Alan Lightman. The book is called In Praise of Wasting Time. It's a short little book. But in much of the book, he focuses on the dangers and the addictions of technology 
as well as just the, the general busyness of our culture. Leidman says this, we have let ourselves be pushed along by the wave of technology and prosperity without looking to see where we are going. Little by little, our world has been transformed. Little by little, we have lost the silences, the needed time for contemplation, the open spaces in our minds, the privacies that we once had. We have lost the knowledge of who we are and what is important to us. He says all of it is happening so gradually and compellingly that we haven't even noticed. You can't be a peacemaker if you don't have peace in your own heart. And you won't have peace in your own heart unless you make time for it on a regular basis. You must be intentional about it. Secondly, being a peacemaker means working to build and sustain trust in relationships. Trust is the currency of relationships. Did you know that? Without trust, we have nothing. But trust has to be earned and maintained. When I do work with couples, premarital counseling and marriage counseling, I tell them that everything that they do, every date, every kind word, every gesture, builds up a trust account. Small deposits are put in over time, but a betrayal of trust will take a huge withdrawal from that same account. Different people approach the subject of trust differently. Some say, you must earn my trust. Others will say, I will trust you until you prove to me that I can't trust you anymore. But the bottom line is, trust matters. And peacemakers work to build trust and maintain trust. And if trust has been lost, then they work hard to rebuild it. Without trust, there's only suspicion. Without trust, people are cautious. They play their cards close. And those who have been hurt or burned the deepest in life are the ones who are often very slow to trust. And who can blame them? Trust matters if we seek to make peace and build relationships with others. There's really no worse feeling than being around somebody that you feel like you can't trust. Trust is important when it comes to peacemaking. Third, being a peacemaker involves not being afraid to identify and to address conflict. Now, this is very different from creating conflict. Peacekeepers and peace lovers tend to avoid conflict because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. They think, you know, life's too short for these awkward conversations. But the truth is, some things in life need to be addressed. Peacemakers understand that conflict which goes unaddressed is probably going to get worse over time. Many times it's not just going to go away. Think about it as it relates to family. Marriage, relationships. John Gottman says there's four things you need to avoid in your marriage or in your relationship. Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. The most toxic of these four is contempt. What happens in marriages and in friendships if, if something uh, is not addressed? If something bad happens, trust is broken, and then it's not addressed or talked through, it builds contempt. And contempt over time only grows and gets worse. And that's why some couples find themselves in situations that seem irredeemable. The contempt has grown to a point where they just feel like they can't go back, and so they decide to call it quits. 
I don't know anybody who likes conflict. Well, maybe there's some people out there who like conflict. But I do know that certain things have to be dealt with or they will only grow worse over time. So peacemakers understand that some conflicts and some situations need to be dealt with and not just swept under the rug. Fourth, peacemakers learn to control and manage their anger. Anger is a powerful emotion that can do a lot of damage. I know this because I'm an eight on the Enneagram, and eights, nines, and ones deal with anger as their primary emotion. Sometimes it manifests itself in resentment, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's frustration, but anger is directly tied to fear, which might sound weird, but that's the truth. And there are three basic reasons in life that we get angry. So think about this. We get angry because we either don't get what we want, something we want, and we don't get it. There is hurt or pain from our past that gets brought up. Or we're attacked, disrespected, criticized, or we feel ignored. Those are the basic three reasons why we get angry, why we get mad. But anytime you get angry, it's probably for one of those three reasons. And all of them are tied to fear. Peacemakers understand that anger is real, and we all experience it, but it must be managed, and it must be channeled in the right way. There are so many scriptures in the Bible that deal with this. Jesus says, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Peacemakers learn to manage their anger. What are the healthy ways to deal with anger? Well, let's think about it. There's exercise. You can go talk to a counselor or a minister. You can take time away so you can calm down. What are some unhealthy ways to deal with anger? Well, you can drink too much. You can take pills. You can lash out at somebody in hopes that that'll make you feel better really quick, either uh, in person or uh, the new favorite way at lashing out at people is digitally, via email or text message. One of the problems with the digital age is that people will type things on a screen that they would never say to somebody's face. And this is a problem because so much of our communication now is digital. So maybe if you're angry with somebody, take some time and then go and sit down with them face to face and have a conversation. That will probably go much better than a heated email exchange. Advances in technology have contributed, I believe, to the rise of rage and polarization. Uh, These guys, uh, and yes, they're pretty much guys that commit the mass killings, are are, are reading things online that are brainwashing them and, and, and making them buy into these crazy ideologies. But so much of it is on the screen. It's written out. It's typed out. And it's become a problem in our culture. Peacemakers control their anger, and they don't let a situation get the best of them. That's my phone ringing on Sunday morning, so I'd love to know who that is. It's calling me, by the way. (laughs) I usually think it's safe to not worry about my phone because people know what I do for a living, so. (laughs) Lastly this morning, peacemakers operate from a basis of love and not fear. And this is one of the most fundamental things that you'll find, themes that you'll find in the Bible. In some ways, you could say that everything in life boils down to two basic emotions, love and fear. 
Are we going to act out of love or are we going to act out of fear? Because it's really hard uh, to act out of both. Paul says in Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, it's all summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said by this, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 1 John 4 talks about the relationship between fear and love. John writes, you know, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. So since we all fear in life, that means we haven't reached perfection in love. Are we going to operate out of fear, or are we going to operate out of love? Are we going to get up every day waiting for something to go wrong, are we going to get up every day excited about the new opportunities that lie before us? Peacemakers learn to operate out of love. That is their basis. That is their primary emotion. Jesus said everything can be summed up by two commandments. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The truth is the world needs more love. The world needs more peacemakers because there's too much anger, there's too much hate, there's too much resentment, there's too much harsh rhetoric. This is not the kind of life that Christ calls for us to live. And if we want to see more peace in this world and in this culture, and I think we all do, then we have to work for it each and every day. We have to be peacemakers, not just peace lovers or peacekeepers. And all of that, friends, begins right here in our own hearts. Amen.